0: This morning, we're going to begin what I've envisioned to be a multi-week uh, series entitled, I Am. And over the years, I've, I've, I've spent, you know, obviously some time in God's Word, and I keep coming across, just like you do, this phrase, I Am. And it's used by God to describe Himself uh, in, in a plethora of ways. I mean, there's, there seems like there's hundreds of them. Let me give you a couple of examples. He says, I am the Almighty. He says, I am Sovereign he says, I am faithful. So in one sense, what I want to do for the next few weeks is to look at the nature and character of God uh, and and, and kind of dig into who he is. And I love that song. He's our way maker. That's another one. Um, But on another level, I I want us to think about the different ways that God intersects in our lives, in intersects our lives and and, and how he calls us to be faithful in following him. So what I want to do this morning is begin with Genesis 15. Uh, it's a passage where God comes to Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He's still Abram in a vision. And this vision happens after a very weird, unusual story in Genesis 14 uh, where Abram had had to go rescue Lot because he had been captured by a, a group of kings, a confederation of kings who had attacked and plundered the area where Lot had chosen to move when he and Abram had to split ways because they were so exceedingly blessed by God that they couldn't handle, the ground couldn't handle all of them in one place. And, and at the end of that, Abram had taken the high ground, uh, choosing to live in the, 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 the high hills of, of Israel, and and Lot had gone down to the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to live and in the end Lot is rescued from these people and a mysterious king which we're not going to talk about this morning named Melchizedek shows up uh, to uh, bless Abram and Abram gives him a tithe a tenth of his uh, his possessions from the raids and and Abram is relying on god he says i don't want to trust you i don't want to trust anyone else i want to trust in this he says the lord the most god most high possessor of heaven and earth because he's the one who's leading them and what he does in that moment i believe sets up what we're going to look at in genesis 15 because he's doing something that i think all of us have got to figure out if we're going to do at some point or in our lives are we going to trust god are we going to profess God? Are we going to depend on God? Are we going to let God be our one to lead us? Are we going to let him be our shield in life? Or are we going to try to do it ourselves? And so that commitment leads to what happens in Genesis 15 as we look at this idea of God as our shield. I want to read the whole passage. We're going to break the text down and then we're going to try to apply it a couple of ways. We're going to do a little things different this summer than we've been doing most of the year. So far, let's look at the passage together. Genesis 15 1 says this After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Let's pray together. Father, we pray and thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the blessings that you give us. And we thank you, God, that you are the great I am. And that, Father, you intersect our lives in various ways, Father, to lead us to be the people that you want us to be, to live lives that are an amazing experience for us, but also something that blesses those around us, God, because we're letting you guide us through our days. We pray you'll open our hearts to this text and help us learn how to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just kind of break the story down for a second here. I want you to see, first of all, God does something amazing. He promises a great presence. You're going, that that could be scary. It can be. But look at verse one. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Any of y'all had visions before? Any of you ever had a vision of the Lord? He's spoken to you. He's spoken into your life. He says, fear not, Abram. I got to tell you, if I was in that moment and God speaks to me in a vision, the first word he would have to tell me is what? Fear not. Because I think I would be fearful in that moment going, what in the world is going on here? Fear not, Abram. He says, I am your shield. That's a great word we're going to dig into in a second. Your reward will be very great. So with Lot's rescue completed, Abraham having taken this public stand about who he's going to trust in God, he has this vision. Now, i, I got to tell you, I'd like to know more about the vision, wouldn't you? I'd like to know how it happened. I know what, I'd like to know what it felt like. I'd like to know what it looked like. I'd like to know what it smelled like. If it had a smell, you know what I'm saying? I want to know the details of that. But all we have is this. He had a vision. Maybe we don't need to know what it was. Was it a dream? Was it in the wilderness? Was he asleep? Was he awake? Was he, where was he? Honestly, we don't know, but we do know who the speaker is, don't we? It's God himself. God has decided to come to Abram and speak to him, and God comes to him in a vision speaking a promise to be his shield, providing his wages, his reward, and his reward to be very great. Now, the word that's translated wages is a Hebrew word, uh, sekarikias. I'm not good at Hebrew, so I'll work on here. Sec-a-richa. There's no test later, so you'll be okay. But it, but it indicates it's what you earn when you go to work. It's your wages. So it's not just a, a gift. There's an exchange going on in this process. He's saying, I want you to be faithful, God is. St. Abram, be faithful to me, and out of that you will have a blessing. Now, Abram has already showed himself to be what? Faithful. He has said, I'm not going to give my credit to any other person but you God I'm only going to follow you I'm only going to listen to you is what he just said in chapter 14 and what he's saying is God is saying to him I want to be with you and I'm going to move forward with you in a way that is unimaginable to you and I'm going to serve as your shield He promises to be the one that stands in front of him, that protects him, that carries him through his life and his days so that he can be, uh, so that the blessings of God can flow in him. And I believe this promise was a direct result of his choice that says, I'm not going to take credit for the victory. I'm not going to take credit for the the battle we won. I'm going to give the credit to God and focus on him instead. See, he had made a public decision to reject following a pagan king. He said, I'm following you, God. And when we make a public stand and say, God, I'm going to follow you, I can promise you that in his time, he will bring you blessings. He'll bring you good things in your life. So God promises a great presence. Number two, Abram, though, lacks divine vision. I always find these guys in the Bible to be kind of of funny sometimes. They look just like us because we live just like them, don't we? Imagine the setting, remember? Who has just showed up in Abram's vision? Uh, God himself has spoken to him and says, I'm going to be your shield. And Abram goes, well, I don't know. It's kind of like Eeyore, you know, well, Wilbur, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know if it'll be good or bad. You know? That's how we are, aren't we? Sometimes we think, God, you can't do that. Abraham says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I am so, I'm I'm so pitiful. I'm childless. And the heir of my house is a guy named Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham says, behold, you give me no offspring. And a member of my household is going to be my heir. Imagine, God of heaven and earth has promised you a great blessing. He's promised you protection. He's promised you to be his shield, your shield. And how do you respond? Would you say, God, thank you. Let's go. Let's do it. Or would you respond like Abraham does? It seems odd to think Abram had made such a public stand just weeks before, if that long, and now he turns around and has like a vision. But that's what he does. Abram basically points out the situation and says, but God, I don't have an heir. Well, I don't have a direct heir. I've got an heir. Some Yehu in Damascus named Eliezer is going to get my stuff when I die. Y'all realize Abram is not a young man at this point, right? He's in his mm, 90s and Sarah is probably in her 80s at this point, and they're aging quickly, as we all do, and he's headed down the road to the end, and he has no children, no vision, no no vision that God can do something. He, He points out, I think, somewhat sardonically this, that, God, I'm childless. You know, in our culture, if I don't have kids, something's wrong with me. Now, in our day, it's not such a big deal, but in their day, if you didn't have someone to leave your stuff to... It would go to somebody else, like, like an Eliezer. And Ultimately, what he's doing is this kind of in a backdoor way, maybe a little passive-aggressively saying, God, you've blessed me with lots. They had so much, remember, they had to separate from Lot and go to a different place because they had so much stuff, they couldn't all live in the same area because the ground couldn't support them, okay? He says, we got so much stuff, but I don't have a kid. More importantly, I don't have a son. To be an heir, you've left me out here. He's an older man. He's starting to realize, as many of us do, that the days ahead are less than the days behind. And we're thinking to ourselves, what's going to happen when it's all over? And his chief complaint is this. I've got no kid. I think what he's doing is, we're going to see an application in a minute, is he's doing what we often do, don't we? We look around and we realize, if we're honest, we've already been given a ton but what do we focus on? The thing we don't have. We say, look what I don't have, God. And he goes, but look what all you do have. And we miss it. We miss the greater picture and the greater blessing. It shows our lack of faith. The third part of the story is there in verses 4 and 5. Abraham says, I got a plan for you. Abraham, presen- God presents Abram's future. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Can I paraphrase for a second? Eliezer ain't it. Okay? That's the paraphrase. Here's what he says This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, stop for just a second there. If you're Abram sitting in your situation with your mature wife who can't have kids any longer, and he says your son's going to be your heir, your first thought was probably like, Yeah, right. You with me? That can't happen. I don't have a son. And then God says, come out here with me. He brought him outside and says, look toward the heaven and go ahead and count the stars. You all ever tried to count the stars? You know, one of the things, one of the things, there's many things, but one of the things I like living in in, in our community is we can go out in our backyard at night and try to count stars. You know, when you live in, in big cities, you get... All the light pollution. You can't see the stars so well. It's probably easier to count stars in the city, isn't it? Because you're go, well, there's 14 of them. That's it, I guess. That's all you can see. But out here, man, you start counting stars. He says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Of course, God knew that Abram couldn't do that. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He makes a twofold presentation to him based on the promise that he's his shield for him. First, he says, Eliezer is not going to be your heir, it's not going to happen. Your son is. Second, he says, you're not going to be able to number the offspring because they're going to be like the stars in the sky. Now, Abram, if he had any vision about his future, it was a small vision at this point. He's probably thinking to himself, man, God really has blessed Sarah and me. We've got lots of stuff. We've got plenty of servants. We've got lots of sheep and we've got lots of goats and we've got plenty of provision and we're going to live comfortable the rest of our days. But when I die... It's going to that guy in Damascus because God's never given me an heir. He wasn't poor, but he didn't have a God sized vision. Oh. That's where we find ourselves, isn't it, often? We're going to talk about that in in detail in a minute. We don't see the big picture. See, God had a better plan for his life. God had a better purpose for his life than he can even imagine. And God intended to bring about something great through his currently non-existent lineage. He was going to bring about a collection of people groups larger than he can even begin to fathom. And let me remind you, through that lineage is going to come the Messiah Jesus one day from a guy who was an old with a wife who was just about as old and no kid he said I'm going to do something in your life so what do you do if you're an Abram sitting in that situation do you go God what are you talking about or do you do what Abram did look at verse 6 Abram trusts God's plan if you want to write a different word in that blank, you could write this word. He faiths, faiths, faiths him. Well, that pops on the microphone, doesn't it? Faiths him. Because that's what he did. He put his faith that God was being true. Look what he says. And he believed the Lord. He what? He believed the Lord. There's power in belief, isn't there? There's power in believing that when God speaks, he's telling us the truth. There's power in when God says, this is what's going to happen, that we believe him, that he's going to do it. And then God counted that belief to him as righteousness. So with God having promised great presence as his shield, followed by presenting a future that he has for Abram, how does Abram respond? Does he laugh at it? Does he walk away? Does he take a step of faith? Does he say, well, God, let's work a deal. Instead, he says, I believe. Let me... Put it this way, he chose the pathway of faith. His action was akin to what happens when you and I place our faith in Jesus. You see, as a kid or an adult or whatever age it is, when you trust Christ as Savior, you ultimately have to do what? You have to place your faith in Jesus. Even if you don't fully get it yet or fully understand it yet. I got to tell you, I was seven, almost eight year old boy when I trusted Christ with my heart. I got to tell you, I didn't understand. Much at that point in life. But I didn't have to. Why? Because God is true and He holds His word to be true we place our faith in him we turn from god from our our ways and we turn to god and we express faith in him we let him change our lives and we're changed then forever by that moment it begins to transform us abraham's life would be forever changed by this seemingly simple act he trusts god to do what god said he would do even if he doesn't understand it or know where it's going to go what god told abram was this i will be your shield the one to stand before you as you choose the pathway of obedience. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to stand in the gap for you. And I'm going to be the shield for you that you so desperately needed so that you can become the man that God wants you to be. The Hebrew word here of righteousness carries the idea of being ethically right, to do what's right even when nobody's looking, to have action that carries us forward, not backwards. So what do you do with this? Three quick thoughts. And I'll be done. Number one, I want to remind you of a truth that we need to grasp, I think. You know, in our day, we are so so smart and so rational. And we're so full of ourselves sometimes, aren't we? We can do it. We got it. We can handle this. But I want you to hear this. God still speaks today. The God of heaven still wants to speak to you and to me. Let me rephrase that. The God of heaven is still speaking to you and me. You go, well, I haven't heard him. He's still speaking. While the need for us to audibly hear the voice of God is no longer necessary, though it can possibly still happen, we still need to hear from God. And how do we do that? I want to remind you the primary way that God speaks to us today. It's not the only way, but the primary way he speaks to us is through his word. He's given us a printed copy of God's word. How many copies of God's word do you have in your house? You go, I don't know. Me either. I can't count them all. I have a shelf in my office with different translations, different versions, different ages. They're all, I mean, how many? I got it on my phone. I've got it on my tablet. And we've got it everywhere, don't we? We've got God's word running out the kazoo, I guess you could say. Is that the right word? Or yazoo, or well, I don't know what the word is. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. We've got it. But we need to have a view of God's word that is very high, that says this. I believe God can speak to me through his word. I think one of the reasons we don't listen and speak and look at God's word as often as we should is because we don't really have the view that God's going to speak to us. But I'm here to tell you God still speaks Today. If you haven't heard God speak in a while, it may be because you haven't spent any time with his word. You're not going to hear him if you're not looking for it. God's given us the printed word so we can live complete and fully performed lives. Listen to what Paul uh, told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and profitable for the things that we talked about in the prayer time, teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man, the person of God, can be complete, equipped to do every good work. See, God's Word serves as our standard for what's acceptable, what's good, what's not good, what's allowed, what's not allowed. And whatever we have a thought about, we think, oh, here's what I think, about what does God's Word say about that? You're going, well, does God's Word speak about everything in life? Not specifically does it always speak about everything. Let me give you an example. You know, that I have yet to find anything in God's Word about social media use. Have you all found that verse? It says, thou shalt not get on social media. It doesn't say that. And if you do, somebody wrote it in there and it's not supposed to be there, okay? Because it's never been written that way. So it's not in the, so it's okay to do whatever. Whoa, hold up. There are verses about what? Communication. Righteous speech. Representing the Lord in what we do. You go, oh. See. Just because it's not explicitly said doesn't mean we don't have a principle we need to pull into our lives. And the only way we know that principle is what? To know God's word, to spend time with him. Many principles in God's word about healthy communication, blessing and not cursing. And in this situation, we look for the biblical principle to guide us. Understand God is still speaking to us today, wanting to guide us and to protect us with him as our shield. So God still speaks. But what do we do? Number two. We struggle with vision. You go, I don't have glasses, I'm not blind. Oh, I am. But that's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about something bigger than physical eyesight. It has to do with where you're looking and what you're focusing on and what you see. In other words, godly vision. God came to Abraham, excuse me, to Abram with a grand vision. You remember his vision? He was going to do what? He said, I'm going to make a great reward in your life and I'm going to make your offspring like the stars of the sky. Now, some of you might say, that scared me to death if he told me I was going to have that many kids. Yeah, I understand. But Abram fixed his eyes where? God says, I'm going to do something amazing. What did did Abram look at? He goes, well, look at the old woman in in my house. She can't have a baby have you seen my old body? I'm falling apart, God. I'm old. I can't do anything. How are you going to do that? You can't do that, God. See, he's got his eyes in the wrong place, doesn't he? Oh, there's the principle I want you to catch, my friends. So often we get our vision messed up because we're looking at the wrong stuff, don't we? We're looking at the problem here, the issue there, the, the situation over there, the mess over here, the this and that, their personality over there, this issue over there, that over there. And we're not looking to the one who can take us through what we need to go through. We struggle with vision. I call that uh, spiritual ADD. You know, we get attention spiritual attention deficit disorder, and we begin to look at the things that in the end don't matter. How much of our lives are we going to spend worrying about things that never happen? Worrying about things that we have no control over. Worrying about stuff that, that in the end you go, what were we talking about last week that we were all up in ours about and we don't even know what it is today? Because we're looking in the wrong place. And we'll begin to fall into a trap that says this, well, I don't think God can do something He can't do something great. He can't even do something good with what I'm in. He said, well, the ship sailed. It's all over. It's too late. Time is over. No hope. No way. But God has great plans. Listen, for you and for me. He's got something special. You're going, oh, but I'm old. It's over. Listen, Abram is older than any of y'all in this room, okay? Some of you are close, but you're not quite there, Okay. God's not done with you. Take a breath. That's how I know God's not done with you because you're still breathing. He's got something for you still. You're going, oh, I don't. I can't have a bunch of kids. I didn't say he's going to give you a bunch of kids. But he'll give you what he needs to give you to be the person you need to be to accomplish the things you need to accomplish till the end of your life, till the end of your life, and then he'll take you home. But we struggle with vision. We look somewhere else and we miss it. Think about the situation Paul found himself in. Paul is one of those major writers in the Bible we read a lot about. But here's a guy who found himself in Corinth. And you want to think about Corinth. I've studied Corinth the last couple of years in depth. On Wednesday nights we've been teaching through 2 Corinthians and then some other parts of it. And Corinth was a, we'll call it, hyper-pagan city, Las Vegas on steroids. Okay? I mean, it was not a moral town. All right? I mean, it was just Despicable. And yet Paul was there sharing the gospel and people are beginning to have faith in Christ and become saved and begin to follow Jesus. And and things get tough. Well, there was also some Jewish folks in town that didn't like he was talking about this guy, Jesus, who he says was the Messiah of the Bible. And they're going, no, no, the Messiah had not showed up yet. And it begins to create this tension. And into this setting, God gave Paul a vision. you know what his vision was? Listen to it. It comes from Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Well, that sounds just like Abram, doesn't it? God spoke to Abram. God spoke to Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Paul could have found himself in a tough situation. Wait, let me rephrase that. Paul found himself in a tough situation. He could have said, God, I'm the only one being faithful. There's nobody else to. He says, no, 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 Paul, you're not alone. Keep on keeping on. Let me put it this way. God says, look up, my child. Don't look down. Look up to where your help comes from. Look up to where God is working. Look up to what God is saying. Look up to where God is leading you. That's the call, my friends, that we need so often, don't we? We begin to look down and we get the wrong vision and we get this, this idea that, oh, woe is me, pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. Oh it's, oh, oh, it's terrible. Oh, my goodness, my friends, we serve a loving God, a loving God, a transformative God who wants to call us and is calling us to do things in his kingdom. So look up. Don't struggle with vision. Don't let spiritual ADD take over. Let God lead you. And then third, do what Abram did at the end of the passage. Make the faith-filled choice. From a human standpoint, Abram had to be sitting there thinking, "Um, does God really know how old I am? Does he know that my wife no longer can have kids? Does he really understand what he's talking about? Does he really... He didn't question it. Did y'all see that? He said, I believe. I have faith. That's the decision each one of us has to make, my friends. Will we really trust God? Imagine you're that guy, Abram, sitting in the situation. You've traveled thousands or hundreds of miles from your homeland. You've gone to a promised land. You've been in the season for a while and land for a season already, and your nephew has been blessed so much. You've been blessed so much. The land in which you now live is a lush, fertile area with so many opportunities, but you got no son. You maybe even come to the place you said, okay, I guess this is our life, honey. It's you, me, and the goats and the sheep. And Lot and his family, and they're nuts. Am I the only one who has family like that? Okay. And then God breaks into your life and says, I've got something for you. How do you respond? I mean, initially, Abram said, I'm not sure it's real, but eventually he did what? He believed the Lord. I'm reminded what the psalmist says. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, you can either trust in what you can see, you can trust in what you can do, or you can trust in God. So who is it? Where are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? Your abilities, your skills, your talents? Or God himself? Maybe you need to make a decision for him today. Maybe you need to make it a public stand. Maybe you need to to commit your life to a local congregation. Maybe you need to just come and pray at an altar. But see, it's so easy just to sit here and say, yeah, I ought to do something. How about that faith step that carries you to the next place? What about it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning, to spend time in your word, and to sing praises to your name. But Father, we want to be a people who live by faith, not by sight. We want to do what Abram did. We want to do what Paul did. We want to do what thousands of others have done over the centuries who trusted you and said, God, I believe in you. And I want my life to show them. God, will you be our shield? Will you stand in our gap for us? Will you call us forward in Jesus' name?